Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you found the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Welcome to The Times. To find out more, head to thetimes.co.uk. Welcome to the Times Opinion Podcast. My name is Tim Montgomery, and this week I'm joined by fellow columnist Alice Thompson, our features writer Hilary Rose, and special guest, Times columnist and economics editor of Sky, Ed Conway. Here are our topics for this week. The Scottish nationalists lost the referendum, but they were left with a moral high ground. The Scots had been scared into voting no and then dumped by the English, which is partly why the Scot Nats did so well in the election. With the increasingly nasty sectarian abuse by the extreme cybernats hounding the late Charles Kennedy and any businessman who dared to speak up for the Union, risk souring the SNP's apparent triumphal progress. When moderate Scots are fleeing south of the border, it's time to ask if the dream is turning sour. For the umpteenth time, Greece is back on what everyone's calling the brink of default. The economy is back in recession and austerity seems to be biting even more than the darkest days of the crisis. What's agreed by most insiders and outsiders is it should never have joined the euro in the first place. But simply turfing it out of the club would cause more long-lasting damage than good. My argument is that Greece should essentially be bribed to leave the single currency, let off its debts for as long as it stays outside the euro. I call it the golden parachute solution. A scientist says that babies learn faster from iPads than from looking at books and condemns books as static. Aside from the fact that babies hardly need hot housing, she is missing the point. In a frenetic, screen-centred world, the gentle joy of books and reading is more valuable than ever before. Children must learn that for something to be enjoyable and worthwhile, it does not have to be interactive with music and colour and graphics. Tablets have a role in helping development, but familiarising babies with books is more important. Excellent. Well, Alice, let's start off with uh, your topic, which is something you addressed in your Times column recently. And um, let me defend the Scots Nats for a moment. Nicola Sturgeon seems to me to be an incredibly reasonable, persuasive politician. Why should Scottish nationalism be under attack just because of the antics of a few nasty people on Twitter, a few nasty people who clearly did hound Charles Kennedy in the way you described. Shouldn't we look to Nicola Sturgeon as the representative of Scottish nationalism, not a few people, cranks, nutcases, as David Cameron might call them, who've never been elected? I think the problem goes further than that, actually. And I, I do agree. I think Nicola Sturgeon is fantastic in many ways. And I've interviewed her a couple of times. And she is a really serious, very, very good politician, as is Alex Salmond, who is also very measured and um, doesn't go around stirring things up in the same way 
Um, but there is a very nasty streak in the SNP, which you don't get in the other parties, actually, that's much more vociferous. It's not just a tiny group of cranks. It, it's quite large spread. And being half Scottish, I've been up in Scotland a lot and I have family up in Scotland. And I have noticed a huge difference that you do feel very, very nervous up there of talking about politics if you've said no or if you are in any way. How does that manifest itself? You say you've been up there. What have you encountered personally? Quite a lot of friends who are considering leaving because they just feel more nervous. They feel nervous at the school gates. They feel nervous at work. I talked to businessmen who've been in companies who came out and said they wanted to be pro-union and they find it very difficult now, um, as do quite a lot of people who've um, had businesses there that they've set up themselves, who is more of the sort of entrepreneurs, who you would think actually is what Scotland wants and needs. And as someone who's very pro-Scottish, I think they should be much more inclusive. And I think they need to forget the sort of divides and try and work together to make sure they're actually getting somewhere with Scotland. And Scotland's going forward rather than going backwards. So what specifically would you like Nicola Sturgeon, Alex Salmon, the SNP leadership to do? Or are you just sounding a a warning to all of us i think they should be much tougher with them actually and they have with one or two one or two of our I mean sort of demembered what do the, the snp like to call it but they haven't really come out and said anything very strongly they haven't said um particularly we say charles kennedy they didn't say very much and i think that there is a sense that they need to take the leadership here and they need to say you know this has gone too far. The problem was it did work very well for the SNP at the beginning because they were brilliant at all that social media and they really got it going and they were fantastic at the tweeting, they were fantastic at Facebook. So in the beginning it was actually rather wonderful and, and it worked and it was getting to people and it had this amazing sense of people becoming involved in politics who'd never been in politics before. It's just now it has actually got out of control. Ed Conway, you've you've written as um, economics editor of Sky about some of the implications of the UK breaking up. Did did you did you get much reaction from the so-called cybernats? Yeah, it's, I mean it's funny actually. I, I, so so I I encountered quite a similar thing on both fronts, similar to, to what Alice was talking about just then. I so I have family in Scotland as well, and and they they say that it has been you know very tough. And if you if you express any views that are in any way kind of against uh, nationalism, then there is a very vicious, vicious, you know, vicious reaction against you. It's tough to kind of to, to voice that. And and likewise, when I've been up there reporting, I have been struck by the extent to which, even working as a, a neutral journalist, just trying to describe the economic matters, one gets a lot of, you know, p- people shouting at you essentially when you're trying to broadcast uh, being quite abusive in a way that, in a way that I'm not familiar with, having been reporting around the world and in the UK on many issues which are, you know, very passionate issues for lots of people, and it is rather alarming. Is there any argument that the fact that so many people in Scotland are embracing the, the political process is a positive thing? I think it was. That's what I felt. I felt incredibly excited covering the referendum because I thought, actually, here, for once, you've got a country that's really engaged in its future. And it's also very engaged with the young. So a lot of the 16 to 18-year-olds really were voting. But the problem is, I think it's now turned sour. I think that it it has got out of control. Mm. And actually, we interviewed Nick Robinson last week, Rachel Sylvester and I, and he had some really horrible tweets um, as political editor. And, you know, he'd got cancer. And, and there were, you know, really more than a dozen of these saying, oh, it's karma, it's your fault, you mm. you know, we all know why you got cancer. And you thought, actually, that's totally unacceptable, really. And there was a, there was an incident during the Scottish referendum campaign, wasn't there, Hilary Rose, when actually some protesters marched on the BBC Scottish 
Scotland office and mm. sort of tried to intimidate them. And when you've got a situation where journalists are being decried from um, attacked for trying to just cover the news in an independent and unbiased way, uh, that, that that's not an environment that any uh, admirer of the free press should, should, should no, save. No, but I think journalists can probably take care of themselves. I'm worried more about what Alice was saying about parents at the school gates feeling intimidated. I think if it's on that everyday street level, then I can see entirely why it would get you down and you might consider leaving. Isn't this a sort of problem, though, Alice Thompson, that Conservative voters have faced for a very long time? You know, As someone who's been on the campaign trail for Conservatives in the past, you can't get Conservative voters to put a Conservative sticker in their window because they worry the stone will go through that, that window. Aren't we just seeing a variety of that and we'll cope? I think it is different because it, it's nationalist rather than political in that way. So it's a sense that you're either with the country or against it, so you're not of a particular party. And I think that's incredibly difficult for people because they feel they're Scottish, but they want to be part of the union as well. So that's why you get these very divided loyalties, often within families as well, because you can have very differing opinions. And I think it's very hard because actually I think the Scots are very welcoming and very open and that's one of their amazing traditions and histories and, you know, they've gone around the world. You know, they're fantastically good normally at being very inclusive. So it, it, when they turn in on themselves, it's really horrible. And one of the trademarks of the SNP is supposedly their different attitude towards immigration. I suppose mm. they, they say how much they welcome immigration, partly Ed Conway, because a lot of the demographics of the Scottish economy aren't good. There is an older population, the oil price is down a lot, it's the economics of Scottish independence look even worse now than perhaps they did at the time of the vote. Yeah, they, they look shaky before because it was entirely incumbent on basically turning Scotland into a, a petro-economy and also hoping that productivity kind of turned around and also relying on, on a certain amount of, of immigration. But it wasn't just immigration. So partly you need immigration so you have more kind of bodies in the country to generate more income. Partly you needed to just hope that you kind of turned into Hong Kong and partly you needed to hope that those oil revenues would still keep coming in. And right now the oil revenues have basically completely disappeared. And those other parts of the, the kind of the pie may well work, but they're still quite suppositional. So, you know, the, the economic case for independence is certainly weaker now than it, you know, considerably weaker now than it was you know, six months ago. OK, well, let's stay with you, Ed. And um, you've uh, suggested... A topic you've written once, twice about for the uh, for <laughs> and may the do again. <laughs> now we should say we are recording this on Monday. Unusually, our podcast recording on on Monday, and um, so there may be some people listening through the week who have more information on what's going on in Greece than we do at this particular point. Yeah, but you can but, probably predict what's you know it, it will still be on the brink. <laughs> there may well be close to a default. And and so give give us a sense of, you know, you argue that Greece should essentially be bribed to leave the um, the euro you call it your golden parachute um, scenario mm. how close are we this time to actually <laughs> something being resolved well, actually, I, so I went to I went to Athens last week and or no sorry the week before last and I was gratified that people were reading the Times because they, they there were there were some journalists who said we've read your golden parachute column and we don't like it because <laughs> um, well look, understandably most most people in Greece do not want to leave the euro they do, you know it's it's something like eighty percent support for the euro and they want to stay within the euro even if it involves kind of the government compromising series of the new government they say they won't compromise but it you know most people want them to so. My, my broad opinion, particularly having been there, is, is 
they will come up with something and it just you know this point where you're closest to the deadline is always the most stressful and it hasn't even been clear that some of these deadlines we've had recently have been actually hard deadlines they've just mm. broken bust right through them eventually we get to a point where they start to run out of money there may well be a default whatever happens but i still think that in in pragmatic terms they will probably come up with some kind of a compromise but the golden parachute might be a more elegant way of trying to deal with the fact that greece should never have been there in the first place and in the very long run shouldn't be there in the future if we did write off if we did write off their debt would the greek economy be viable well it's just about right now they are managing to bring in about as much money as they need to 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 spend so what they have they have more or less a primary surplus actually it might go into deficit and that just basically means if you ignore interest payments they are about able to kind of you know they're self-sufficient sounds like they're in better fiscal health than the united kingdom (laughs) (laughs) we're close to that we're close to that also but you know debt interest is very expensive the real issue is is partly kind of it's political as well as economic if you if greece is going to leave the euro you are talking i mean i've kind of argued for quite a long time that they should never have been there that's not particularly difficult thing to say but they probably should have left a few years ago because they are just so far out of whack on more or less any economic basis than any other economy in Europe. They just don't fit in terms of productivity, in terms of their fiscal profile. So if they left, it would be better for them. They have a massive devaluation. Greek goods are suddenly cheap again. People would start buying you know, Greek exports. The, the issue, though, is they have since then, they have gone through two years, two extra years of utterly terrible cuts and pain and you know people have had enormous salary cuts things that you know austerity in the uk is nothing really nothing in comparison to what they've had to endure there it's been worse than anything since the great depression so my point really is if they're going to leave at this stage it would cause even more pain so why impose that on them have a failed state on your here's a cool fact a crocodile can't stick out its tongue another cool fact you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. I'm Sandra. And I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today on the borders of the EU, let them fall into Vladimir but Putin's there's, arms, there's give them a, be, a way gonna out. Be, there's going to be more pain, though, anyway, isn't there? Because um, if well, you... The, the hard line, Syriza, the fact that, of the government 
um, the, the ministers might be willing to compromise and accept some more of the reforms that the IMF in particular in the Troika are in, insisting upon. But any more pain is unacceptable to a good part of the, the Greek government. Well, I mean, Or the Greek ruling party, anyway. There's, I mean, there's, there's rhetoric along those lines. The, the, the ironic thing is that they were so close, so close to getting a proper, a fully blown recovery, a fully fledged recovery in Greece just before the election. Things were genuinely ticking up. There was growth for the first time in ages. They had unemployment starting to fall. They were actually getting back into a kind of surplus on, the, on their budget. It looked like they were, they, were, they were about to break free. And then in comes Syriza, and then, of course, you have this massive fall uh, in confidence. People are obviously tired of the austerity, but they were coming out from the, the other side of it, and it's so tantalisingly... You know, well, when you say that, though, were, were they really? Because there's a lot of recoveries around Europe at the moment, like the Spanish recovery, perhaps even our own recovery, that on the face of it, the headline GDP numbers look good, but just large numbers of average voters just aren't feeling it well i mean that probably yeah that is still gonna gonna be an issue and i think that's an issue here and it's an issue elsewhere but that you know set that against a, a genuine kind of great depression so you know a depression where it's not just you're not feeling a bit better off there's no feel-good factor it's a depression where you have seen your salary cut by a third or even yeah. cut in in three you know into three it's it's so much worse in greece than anywhere else it, that's the point it's so much worse and they were starting to get around from underneath that. Alice Thompson. Uh, what I found extraordinary is having been to Greece recently and then having been to Turkey both for work, you can't help but be absolutely staggered by the difference. So you look at Turkey and, you know, I went there and I was covering it and it was unbelievable. Even from the first moment you leave the airport and you see the wind farms and it's clean and it's tidy and it's efficient and it's working and Istanbul you can just shoot around you you know I was doing various interviews for a piece on women there the women are fantastically organized efficient liberated and you felt this is a country that's really on the cusp of something and then you go to Greece and I was interviewing the former king of Greece and it's it is extraordinary the juxtaposition between the two countries now and you just think oh my god this is you know they're, they're different circumstances but it is very very strange now to have two countries so close to each other one that wasn't in the european union but desperately wanted to be and one that got in and thought it had made it mm. that's just done so incredibly badly out of the european union isn't it? the euro really was how william Hague described it 20 years ago a burning building without exit exactly it must feel and like that was that, extraordinary that they wouldn't have any exit but the reason they wouldn't have any exit because i think they must have known in a way that there would be people who wanted to leave. Yeah. And that was their problem. They needed and to have an exit, actually. And the, sad, the sad thing, the saddest thing is obviously the, the EU is this project which was designed in, in the wake of the Second World War to ensure that nothing like that would ever happen again. And now you have the third biggest party in the Greek parliament is the neo-Nazi Golden Dawn Party. You know, they, they are there. People are trying not to, you know, to, to, to give them airing on Twitter, but they are there. They are still remain popular despite many of them being kind of in court for various kind of charges. And so the fact that the euro and that the project itself allowed that to happen, encouraged that to happen, is, I think, the most worrying thing of all, I think. European leaders, Hillary Rose, can be forgiven as David Cameron tours European capitals trying to get them to focus on Britain's renegotiation demands. He can, they can perhaps be forgiven for worrying slightly more about the problems in Greece well, than indeed. in London. Indeed. And I think the wider implications in um, other European countries for writing off Greek debt are surely appalling. I mean, if I was a, a, a German, a member of the German electorate, then... I might not be terribly impressed to see my money being being written off. 
Yeah. And of and course, they're not, you, 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 and they're not that happy exactly. about the idea. <laughs> and, you, and you have the sort of the Spanish, for example, um, prime minister with left wing anti austerity, anti fiscal responsibility parties to his left. Why is the Spanish prime minister going to agree to special deal mm. for, for Greece? But, because that will just encourage the left wing uprising within his own. The IMF country. could write off my debts if it might. <laughs> <laughs> but his, but his, is it, is spread it, the net wide. Is it Greek sized, um, Henry? Do you want to share anything well, with it, us? It could be if I thought it was going to be written off. But it is the prodigal son, isn't it? I mean, that's the thing. It's the, exactly. It's the story of the prodigal son. You either, you know, the one who behaves well, works hard, tries hard, mm. stays mm. at home, and then you have the one that you know, goes off, doesn't get it right. But in the end, you know, you have to do what's right and what's yeah. going to work. You can't really mind. But this is a this is a lot of what British people think is wrong with the is the EU. They think rightly or wrongly that Britain always plays by the rules, does the right thing, and yet EU is always bailing out the countries that don't play by it's the rules. Feckless Greek, yes. Yeah. Well, I'm afraid <laughs> you a lot leave of home, then that. that's the answer. <laughs> <laughs> Hillary Rose, let's move on and finish with with your topic. Tell me what you're talking about. What are all these babies being <laughs> nestled in their mum's arms or their father's arms, and with a sort of glowing iPad before their eyes? And uh, what, 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 what are we talking well, about here? Well, a, a British scientist has has discovered that babies learn an awful lot faster if they're doing it on iPads rather than a book. So, what are we? Which, when you say babies, what age are we talking about? I don't know. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Generic baby. <laughs> <laughs> Toddlers, what probably. Do they learn is it? Very, they, yeah. they learn reading, they learn numbers, they learn anything that can be learnt. They learn quicker from an iPad with interactive graphics and colours and music and all the rest of it. Mm. Now, I think iPads clearly have a role um, in childhood and they're absolutely wonderful. And the, we should say that other tablets are available. Other tablets <laughs> are available. <laughs> but I think the scientist also condemned books for being static, which is slightly to miss the point. The whole joy of a book is that it's static and you just engage with it and it doesn't have to grab your attention. And I think the idea of, of teaching very young children that for something to be interesting and, and worthy of your attention, it has to be all singing and all dancing, is to, is to overlook the, uh, the, the is, quiet joy of sitting with Is book. anyone saying that, though? Aren't they just saying it's quite good if children can learn their alphabet and their times tables a little quicker with an iPad and perhaps they could read a book? when they're familiar well, with the iPad device as well? No, this scientist seemed to, seemed to be arguing that just because they learned faster from iPads, meant from tablets, meant that the, that's where they should be doing all of their learning. And mm. I think they have a role, but not necessarily a major one. Is this the problem we discussed with, um, uh, recently on the, uh, on the podcast? Is it partly that we are worried about the attention span? of children that if we all are needing to be interactive all the time with new amusements we can't concentrate on anything that is as developmental as a as a book um is, is that part of what this scientist is worried about i think that's definitely an issue yes because i mean kids today not babies obviously but they go from screen to screen they do their homework on screen they're looking at screens in the back of the car they're on their phones all the time um and i think it's very important that they're encouraged and shown by example from as young an age as possible that actually sitting quietly with a book is one of life's great joys. Mm. Oh, that was the story. We were talking about banning mobile phones from <laughs> classrooms. That was it. It was you. Well, that was, uh, Alice, what do you make of this? Well, my view now is very much that if you look at Silicon Valley, all the schools there have banned any tablets and any phones and none of the parents who work at Apple or work at any of these big companies let their children have any sort of 
um, Gadget before they're 11. And you think... No, I don't believe that. Well, most of them don't. No, because they very strongly feel, and the schools do particularly, they very strongly feel that they won't be creative enough if they have any of these devices. So actually, Steve Jobs, before he died, said when they asked him what his children thought of his phone, he said they don't have one. So there is that sense that... How old were his children? They were under 11. Um, But there is that sense from them that actually to, to create these... You know, new generation. What they don't need is an iPad. What you do need to do is give them a go kart to play with, or give them, a, you know, a book to read, or something like that. So they they feel that. So if they feel that, I think it's almost a sort of stronger message for us to realise that these gadgets weren't made for children in the end. And yes, they're great. And you know, I've but got they're, four, they're full of apps. Yes, though, I've got four them. children, and they use them the whole time, and they will yeah. learn there. How old are some of your are you ch- some of your children under eleven? They using are eight, iPad? ten, twelve, and fourteen, and they. So you're not following Steve Jobs' advice. No. <laughs> 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 and also, they, they're desperate to have, you know, that's what every child wants for their birthday is some sort of tablet or product like that. And, you know, it's very difficult to say no the whole time. What, what is the evidence, Hilary, on learning multiplication tables? And Do we know, does it? Well, I never you? managed to learn mine by any method. <laughs> Books, tablet. <laughs> well, you've done quite well, if you, despite that. Not as a result of being able to multiply two by but, two. But you do have a Greek-sized... <laughs> This is true. Look, I'm not saying that, that tablets are an absolute disaster, but I do think that the idea that babies need to learn faster is coming at it from a slightly unusual angle. I mean, babies have literally got all the time in the world to learn things, and they can surely learn it from a variety of sources, um, not just computerised ones, um, Ed- where they've got the option of swiping and playing Angry Birds. Ed Conway, what's your... Well, I, I, I spent most of my life uh, looking at a screen or having some form of kind of media. I, 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 I find it difficult actually to 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 go in the tube without putting my you know music on or putting a podcast on. I go from home where I'm looking at my iPad, listening to music on, or looking at my iPhone on the tube, going to work. I've done that for most of my life I feel well you know I've kind of retention span and (laughs) I I, I think it's an indictment of these of these gadgets that uh, yeah I'm unable to go out into civilized society and talk to people and and uh, (laughs) I why would you want to when you have your podcast (laughs) well exactly no I I do it through I do it through through podcasts like this this is how I communicate (laughs) with humanity Um, but I would say seriously we were talking briefly just before this about poetry and you know it's one of those forms which which is perhaps for some people a dying art form but uh, there's this great iPad app on the wasteland you know an amazing an amazing poem, one of my favorite favorite poems which takes the poem and gives you various different readings and gives you the text and gives you the annotations on on the actual uh, application and I saw this as as one place where you could actually I don't know kind of ruminate on a poem have an op- you know have a kind of prompting as to what the meaning of various different lines are kind of learn from it was Fiona Shaw's reading which is absolutely brilliant learn from those different readings uh, an art form which you might have forgotten otherwise and so I thought that's kind of wonderful would it not be better to to read the poem on your own well, first and form your own conclusions as to what the lines mean and then go into the literary criticism that Give you their opinion later. I did that, and it turned out I was completely wrong. Well, that doesn't on, matter. On, on everything. <laughs> <laughs> it turns out I was wrong, but but I. But did you, know, you, did you enjoy your interpretation? My interpretation? No, no, no. I've I've, I've entirely kind of expunged that from history because because okay. you know the, the iPad was right. 
<laughs> the iPad was was right. Well, we will leave on that, finish on that note. Ed, Hillary, Alice, thank you very much. Thank you to Dave Maguire, my producer. We'll be back next week, next Monday um, as well. Um, and I should say to any of you who are Times subscribers, and I hope you all are, if you do go to the times.co.uk slash comment central, I'll post on that blog some background articles um, to what we've been discussing, including Ed's piece on his golden parachute for Greece and Alice Thompson's piece on the hounding of people who don't believe in the SNP um, so that you can you can read those articles. Thank you again for listening. Until next week, goodbye. Thank you for downloading. To discover more, head to thetimes.co.uk.